You are listening to the official podcast of Refuge, where we believe all people matter to God. 1 Timothy 1.5, and we want to start out with this passage, because I think this really reflects my heart this morning as I stand before you as a pastor, as a minister of the gospel. I believe this reflects also the heart of the leadership of this church, because this really is something that is a divine directive that we get right from the word of God. It's found in 1 Timothy 1.5. 1 Timothy 1.5, it says, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. And so it's about motive, to have the right motive. I stand before you and my motive is, is for God to reveal himself more in your life and for me to be a vessel and a tool that God can use to speak through. As we look at these Beatitudes, we, we, we are discovering in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount that he established a paradigm shift and, and it's how we are to think in terms of life and how we approach life. Uh, so these are very significant and, and I've, I've loved just digging into the word and finding more about these Beatitudes. And so this is, uh, I'm just excited about the truth that Jesus spoke and declared and how that relates to you and me. And starting in Matthew chapter five, uh, we'll start at verse one again and we'll read this text uh, through verse 10. Starting at verse one, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse four, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Other versions say filled. Verse 7, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. That's what we're going to talk about today. Where Stein goes on to say, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Amen. Beatitudes defined. Now, you might say, are you going to repeat yourself? Yes. I'm going to repeat myself. You know, I, I've learned that by repetition, uh, it's a great tool of learning. So certain things, when I'm in a series, I'm going to repeat. So it's only reinforcing what is being stated and proclaimed, okay? So Beatitudes, again, defined as condition or statement of blessedness. That's what a Beatitude is. It is the word for blessed, happy, or fortunate. Now, the Greek word translated blessed means spiritual well-being and prosperity. This refers to the deep joy of the soul. It's, it's something deep. It's something inward, okay? Now, how I define beatitude uh, through my course of study here and preparing for these messages is conditions of the heart that result in true happiness. Because how I many of you know there's a false happiness there's a facade that people put on. I'm talking about true happiness. 
Or we could say attitudes that determine actions that result in happiness. Because we need to realize that it's your attitude that's going to affect your actions. Because it, it, everything starts in the attitude or a thought form and it's projected in, in an outward action that begins to determine the course of how we live our lives. And so the attitudes that we have discovered give us a kingdom of God perspective. It, it's really having that proper mindset and how we view life. Beatitudes address hard issues. It really does. It addresses hard issues. And it's interesting because Jesus is always concerned about what's happening in your heart. Uh, the, the Beatitudes also identify the blessed person and the condition resulting in that blessing, okay? And the Beatitudes are the code of conduct for Christian living. And really, I believe, reflects the heart of God. I really do. And so in each of the Beatitudes, we see a condition connected with a promise, okay? And so I believe they're important for us to look at, to study, and to explore. And today, we're going to be looking at Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about mercy, and I, I want to say this about mercy. If you were not here or uh, couldn't be here, we encourage you to listen to the podcast. It's free. Uh, you can use, do it on your phone or on the computer. Uh, these are made available to you, so you can catch up if you happen to miss a service. And, and uh, sometimes it's good for me to listen to myself. And I don't like to listen to myself. I need, I need to be honest with you. But I do because I want to improve. Okay? All right. We'll leave that said there. Enough there. Said, But mercy is a prime attribute of God's nature. In fact, we really can't comprehend, we can't fully comprehend his mercy until we have a revelation of his love. And I just want to give you this. You can write this in your notes if you're taking notes. Ephesians chapter 3. There's a prayer that you can pray. Verses 14 through 19. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 19. You can pray this prayer. This is a prayer basically to have a greater revelation of the love of God. It's a scriptural prayer. And so you're speaking and declaring the word of God over your life. But I believe it's so essential that you have a revelation of God's love that will impact your life. It will impact how you relate and see others as well. Okay? Now, Matthew 5, 8, let's read this again said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. This is emphatic. This is a statement that Jesus is declaring. Now, we see a, a, a scripture that we can correlate to this in, in the book of Psalms, in Psalms 73, verse 1. And we'll share that with you, Psalms 73, verse 1. It says, truly God is good to Israel to those who are pure in heart. So what we see, we see this essence of God wanting to do something for those that have a pure heart. And so we want to explore what that is. What is a pure heart? What does that look like? Well, the word pure defined means without any uh, unnecessary elements or extraneous elements free from any contamination, not mixed or adulterated with any other substance or material. It means to be wholesome and untainted by, morality, by immorality, especially that of a sexual nature. Now, when we look at the very Greek word 
the Greek word gives us an understanding of what, it, what this word pure is. It's the word katharos. It's used actually 27 times in the New Testament. And fundamentally, it actually signifies that which is clean or free from contaminating substance. Okay, so we get the picture of, of what pure is. And, and you didn't maybe even need to know that because it's very common to most people what it means to be pure. But uh, William Barclay, who has a commentary, Bible commentaries, he contends that pure may describe the heart that is free of unadulterated motives. So he looks at it primarily as a motive issue. And he goes on to say it perhaps represents that ideal state of mind of a person who longs to serve God and others for the sheer unselfish joy of honoring the creator and thus free of base motives. In other words, there's no motive in this other than I want to serve my creator. I want to honor him. That's why I do what I do, because I want to honor him. Uh, See, so as we look and consider a pure heart, we need to look at it from the standpoint of motivation. What motivates you to do what you do? And it's important to examine your motives because your motive may just happen to be wrong. I I can be honest with you, I've had uh, wrong motives over the years, but I've learned to check my motives before I do something. I check my motive. Why am I doing this? What's the reason behind it? Do I want to look good before man? Do I want people to say, oh, Pastor Matt, he's a great guy? Is that my motive? If it is, that's a wrong motive. But if, I, if my motive is to make God look good and to reveal who he is, uh, how many of you think that's a better motive? Amen. And so, so what does it mean to be pure in heart? Because this is a qualified statement, to be pure in heart. Uh, there's a, a man who wrote this book. His name is Soren Kilgugard. And he wrote a book entitled Purity of Heart is to Will One Thing. That's quite a title of a book, isn't it? Purity of Heart is to Will One Thing. Now, now that's not necessarily a bad definition of purity in heart. But providing that that one thing that we will is to see God. Okay? Now, a pure heart is a heart that has or wants nothing to do with falsehood. A a pure heart avoids deceit. See, deceit is when you want it both ways. You want God and you want the world too. You know, it's when you ride the fence. You want to do one thing and you want people to think that you're doing another. It's that facade that often Christians put out there. But I believe we're living in a day that God is exposing and revealing the true motive of the heart. Because God is wanting to perfect that which concerns the church. So the church can function and flourish the way he designed it to. So that we can impact this world. And make a difference. And reach humanity that does not know him. Now, according to David... King David, that is. Not David Wallace, but I'm sure he would agree with this. 
Uh, we, when we look at the closest Old Testament parable to what we see here, we also find in Psalms 24, verses 3 and 4, King David, in the psalm, makes this statement, starting at verse 3, Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in this holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. So here we we see that whole motivation revealed by King David. And I believe this is what Jesus was, was addressing when he declared this beatitude. And so now if we look at James, we see in James chapter 4, verse 8, that he addresses purity of heart, but he also brings into the factor this thing called double-mindedness. According to James, the double-minded man has his heart divided between the world and God. And, and, and that's like a wife who has a husband and a boyfriend too. It just doesn't, doesn't work. See, purity of heart, on the other hand, is to will one thing, namely full and total allegiance to God. James 4.8, let's look at that together. James chapter 4, verse 8, it says, draw near to God. This is an invitation. This is a command. This is a charge from Scripture. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Wow. In other words, you make a move, God's going to make a move. You draw close to him, he's going to draw close to you. And, and at some point, you're going to meet, okay? And so it goes on to say, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Now, James is not talking to unbelievers. He's talking to Christians. He's talking to believers. And so that means Christians or believers can at times become double-minded. They can have a pull of the world. They can have two allegiances. They can be serving two masters. And it's not going to bear fruit in their lives. And so James is addressing this issue of double-mindedness, which goes back to the motive of the heart. And so in addressing this, we have a choice to make because it says cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. Now, I thought God purifies the heart. Well, yes, he does. But he purifies the heart in cooperation with our response to him. Okay, and so I, now let's, let's talk about this because I want to I keep moving this thing forward. What does it mean to see God? What does it mean to see God? Well, seeing God is being admitted into his presence, okay? It's ultimately admittance into his kingdom because there will be a day that you will physically stand before him face to face and you will see God. And um, I trust that that will not be in judgment, but that will be to receive your reward, okay? So uh, to see God is to be awestruck by his glory. See, his glory is all that he is and all that he does, and he's at work. He's in this earth. He's everywhere all the time. And we can begin to see God 
working in people's lives. We can see God working in our own life. And see, seeing is perception. It's not just what we visually can see from our physical eyes, okay? It's perception. It's having a revelation of who he is. See, many people don't know who he is. They cannot see God. They have no perception or perspective of who he is. They're blinded. They're short-sighted in that regard. To see God is to be comforted by his grace. And we see in Psalms 27, verse 7 through 9, King David crying out to God. And in verse 7, in, verse, in chapter 27, it says, Hear, O God, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. See, he was determined, I need to get before God's face. I need to see God. So that meant he needed to make a decision, a choice. He, he had to go after God. He wasn't content just to left, let life go by. He was dealing with circumstances that were beyond his control, and he needed to see the face of God. We need to see the face of God in the hour that we're living in, folks. It's interesting, Hebrews 12, verse 14, says, strive for peace. Now, that, doesn't, that seems contradictory, don't, doesn't it? We're going to strive for, for something, but we're going to get peace in the striving of it? Because striving seems there's turmoil, there's anguish. We're working to attain something. But this striving is dealing with your fleshly nature that keeps getting in the way of what God wants to do, Okay. It says, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See, holiness is a requirement. It's a prerequisite for us to see the Lord. See, God wants you to see him. He longs for you to see him. Holiness means you're set apart. You're reserved for him. When I was growing up, mom had this set of china. And it was days like Thanksgiving and Christmas and Easter that she'd bring out the fine china. Now, that china was holy in the regard that it was not used as everyday dishes. They were in a special place. They were treated with special care. They were only for special occasions. They were set apart for a specific purpose, okay? And see, that's what it really means to be holy, but we're set apart for his purpose, for God, for what he wants to do with our life. Because we have a choice and so often people want to live their life the way they want to live it. And they exclude God from the equation and say, no God, but I want to do this. But yet we need to say, okay God, it's not my will, but what's your will in this? Okay? Now, now being pure in heart and seeing God are connected. They really are. There's a connection. See, it's not allowing other things to come before God. It's being devoted and sold out to him. It's honoring the commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength. In Matthew 22, verse 37, Jesus is speaking to the disciples, and he said to him, actually he's speaking, I think this is probably the rich young ruler. I have to check that reference. Don't quote me on that. And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God 
with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Oh, I, I know what it was. It was the Pharisees asking, asking him, what's the greatest commandment, okay? The greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, not just half your heart. With all your soul, not just half your soul. And with all your mind. It's, it's total devotion. Wow. See, God looks on the heart. There's 682 verses in the uh, English Standard Version that mentions the word heart. So it's mentioned pretty frequently. In 1 Samuel 16, 7, it says, For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. See, God's not going to look at externals as much as he can look at what's happening on the inside of you, even today. I mean, you can look fine on the outside, but what's happening on the inside? Where is your heart at? That's what God's concerned about. And this was in regarding to David. So, so often we look at externals. We look at the outward appearance. But we're missing the, the true picture of, of what a person is. Okay? So a pure heart affects how we view people and circumstances. You might want to write that down if you're taking notes. If you have a pure heart, it will affect how you view others. It will view, it'll affect how you view the circumstance that you're in. So what does it mean to have a pure heart? What does pure in heart mean? And that, let me just address this. It's not just sexual purity. It is that, but it goes beyond lust and impurity or impure thoughts. And see, a lot of times people think, oh, that's just, I, I need to have a, a pure thought life. And, 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 and yes, you do in regards to the opposite sex and, and all that. Matthew 15, 9, it says, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. All of those evil thoughts come out of the heart, okay? In Matthew 12, verse 34, and Jesus again addressing this issue of the heart says, you brood of vipers, he's speaking to the religious leaders, the people that were supposed to have it all together, the people that were supposed to leading, be leading the people to God and to serve God and follow him, the religious people of the day. He said, you brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. See, whatever is in your heart, it's going to eventually come out. You cannot stop it. That's a law. That's a spiritual law. Matthew 15, 18. I actually got eight. I should have had those this earlier. Matthew 15, 18 says, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. And that was the issue of, of the ceremonial washings. And, and Jesus was addressing, hey, it's not what you put in. It's what, come, what comes out of a man that defiles him. The condition of your heart is revealed by what comes out of your mouth. And see, I know I can get around people and they can clean up their language. Isn't it amazing? Why? Because they're with the pastor. So they're going to clean up their language and, and uh, occasionally they can be a slip of the tongue. And when that happens, oh, sorry, pastor. Don't apologize to me. See, what's in there, you can try to hold it back, but in whatever moment it may be, what's in there is going to come out. 
It's interesting, and I'll just share this thought. Um, there was a, a man, a believer, that was on the plane that crashed over the Canary Islands. And this was a number of years ago. It's still uh, the, the worst um, disaster in aviation history because two 747s exploded in, in a collision. And this man who survived, who was a believer, in the moment of that explosion and that crash, what was coming out of him was the word of God, the promises, and it was just coming. It's like it just happened. But he's sitting next to people, and they're dying, and they're cursing God. Profanity and, and swearing and cursing is coming out of their mouth. Why? That's what was in their heart. And they couldn't stop it in that moment. And you might think they should have been crying out for repentance in that moment. So many people say, well, I'll wait till I get close to death before I get right with God. Don't, okay? Don't. You don't want to put it off, okay? Now, uh, but being pure in heart, uh, it's how we manage our thought life. Philippians 4.8 says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. This gives us the criteria for proper thinking in our life as a believer. And see, the Bible says we can take every thought captive and bring it to the obedience of Christ. See, thoughts will come that are ungodly thoughts. You can't stop the thoughts from coming, but you can keep them from establishing a stronghold in your life. And so you cast down imaginations and every vain thing and thought that is contrary to the knowledge of God. And so uh, we see that in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. I don't have a slide for that. Um, being pure in heart involves having a singleness of heart towards God. A pure, a pure heart has no hypocrisy, no guile, no hidden motives, the pure heart is marked by transparency and by an uncompromising desire to please God in all things. You know, let's stop there for a moment. Do you have a desire, an earnest desire to please God in all things? If not, you need to. Because that should be a motivation. Oh, God, I want to please you. Oh, God, I don't want to disappoint you. So I was raised, my dad's sitting here. He's going to be 90 next month, less than a month. 90 years old. He's outlived his father, his grandfather, and a lot of other people around here. <laughs> and growing up, this was not the man I wanted to disappoint and, you know, so my desire, and I don't know how, mom and dad, you raised me, but you cultivated something in me to motivate me to want to please you. I never wanted to disappoint you. I wanted to be pleasing to you. And you know how we relate to our natural parents? That's how we often relate to God. So that was simply transferred to how I relate to God. I don't ever want to disappoint God or displease him. Now I have, I've missed it, I've failed, but that's not my desire, so I repent. I ask for forgiveness and I get it right. And that's what the word is challenging and charging us to do. 
See, we must look to Christ who gave himself for us to purify for himself a people. We see that in Titus 2.14. says, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Wow, he purified for himself a people. So he does a work in us. Now when we look at the opposite of pure, we have certain antonyms. Tainted, corrupt, false, fake, unreal, imitation. I don't like imitation stuff. I will not buy imitation vanilla. I will fly to Mexico and buy the real thing if I have to. And I go there enough on mission trips so I, I don't have to go on an extra trip. But I don't like imitation things. I don't think God does either. And it means dirty, polluted. This is the antonym of pure. Again, contaminated, indecent, unclean, mixed, vulgar, obscene, debased, or adulterated. But the qualities of a pure heart, a primary quality of a pure heart is not to be manipulative. Oh, oh my. Pastor, you got me there. See, I, and I have to admit there's times I, I try to manipulate. Oh, this is wrong. I'm sorry, honey. I'm trying to manipulate you, kids. You know. <laughs> oh my. Qualities are to have integrity and honesty. It's to be transparent. It's to be real. It's to be genuine. So how can we maintain a pure heart? In Psalms 119, 9 through 11, this is especially for young men. Psalms 119, studying at verse 9, says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. Hallelujah. Verse 10, With my whole heart I will seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. Verse 11, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. In other words, you got to dig into the word. You got to spend time in God's word. You need to build yourself up in this word. This will keep you from sin. But sin will also keep you from this book. Amen? So what can we learn from this beatitude? And I've got the three points. You ready for these? Number one, Jesus is always concerned with where your heart is at. He's always concerned with where your heart is at. He's concerned about heart issues. We looked at 1 Samuel 16, 7 earlier. It says, for the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. He's looking at your heart right now. He knows the condition of your heart right now. And yet he wants you to come clean before him. He wants you to admit certain things because without us admitting and acknowledging an issue in our life, we're stopping God from addressing that issue. We're stopping him from dealing with it because he's given you a free will and he will not violate your will. But yet, when you submit your will to him, then he steps in. And then he begins to do what only he can do. Number two, God is the one who purifies the heart 
And the instrument with which he cleanses it is faith. God is the one who purifies the heart. And the instrument with which he cleanses it is faith. We see in Acts 15.9. Acts 15.9 says, Make no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. So God was saying not only to the Gentiles, or not only to the Jews, but to the Gentiles. He's not making a distinction, but he's going to purify their hearts by faith. And, and this is where our faith, our response, faith is our, our response to God. Where we believe, we trust, we rely upon him. And that's when our hearts can be cleansed. And then number three, God wants you to see him. He really does. Seeing God is the goal of being pure. Okay, I'll say that again. God wants you to see him. Seeing God is the goal of being pure. That's our primary joy, to see God. See, see, seeing God is like seeing everything else for the very first time. Why? Because not only will we see God, but we'll see everything through his perspective and how we look at life, how we look at ourselves, how we look at other people, it all changes. And we see a passage here in First John chapter 3, verses 2 and 3, and this totally relates to what we've been talking about today. First John 3, 2 and 3 says, Beloved, we are God's children now. This is speaking to believers. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. See, when we live with expectation and anticipation of his return, that purifies our heart. Because when we see him, it transforms our life. And see, you, you might relate that to future, but it also relates to the present for the here and now because you can see him. You can have a revelation of who he is. And that revelation, when you see him, it changes you. You become like him when you have a revelation of who he is. I want to challenge you this morning as we conclude this service to establish a pure devotion to Christ. A pure devotion to Christ. Well, what is that, Pastor? What does that mean? Well, we see the charge in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 2 and 3. And here this is coming from the heart of God. Even though the Apostle Paul is writing this and, and sharing this revelation, this is what he says, because I believe he was carrying the heart of God for the Corinthians. He said, For I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. Verse 3, But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. You see, we're still dealing with the serpent, we're still dealing with Satan, who in his cunning is trying to take us away from pure devotion to Christ. 
God is calling us as a church to a pure devotion to Jesus Christ. To be pure means to be clean or to be cleansed. Proverbs 20 verse 9 says, Who can say I've made my heart pure? I'm clean from my sin. Who can say that? Only those that have received forgiveness from God. 1 John 1 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, that's the kind of cleansing that we need to be cleansed from all unrighteousness. And it, it begins by confessing our sin, what we know we've done wrong, what we know to be sin when we confess it. He not only forgives what we've confessed, but he cleanses us from all unrighteousness, even the things we may not be aware of that is sin. He cleanses us from that as well. Because how many of you have sinned ignorantly, not knowing that you sinned? Philippians chapter 1, 9 through 11. And this is a prayer. The Apostle Paul is praying for the Philippians. And in his prayer, he prays this way. Verse 9. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. And I believe that was in reference to their love for God and their love for each other. With knowledge and all discernment. Verse 10 so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. In other words, ready for his return. Verse 11, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Thanks for listening to The Refuge Podcast. For more information about who we are and to listen to more inspirational messages for free, Visit us online at wearerefuge.net.